Roundtable at leoroundtable.com. We are broadcasting live from the Boss Hog Radio Network Studios in Plant City, Florida. My name is Chip DeBlock. I'm your host. We're a group of law enforcement professionals that talk about today's news and issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. Let me go ahead and introduce our crew to you. Guys, if you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show, we have attorney Ken Afianco. We also have Captain Brett Bartlett, Corporal David DeGresta, and yes, you've got a new face on here, James Cabell. You might recognize him from MyMedicare.live. Uh, so thanks, guys, for being on the show. Appreciate it. Also, a shout-out to our sponsors, Motion DSP, GallsGunLearn.com, and I said it before, I'll say it again, MyMedicare.live, and we are fueled by Bang Energy. Also, a shout-out to the Free Press for Brian Burns, and also Ray Dietrich, a huge shout-out, Red Voice Media. We're streaming to three of their Facebook pages with a million followers today. So thanks so much for your support. And, uh, and hey, we want to make uh, everybody that's listening to the show, your guys are giving us your, your lunch hour. Basically, we want to make you guys the most educated people in the news and the issues from a law enforcement perspective on all the stuff that's happened over the last 24 hours. And, and really, we're covering stuff from over the weekend as well. So, yeah, we've got, we've got a lot of news to cover the day, a lot of uh, insight on some stuff that's going on. So without wasting any more time, let's go ahead and jump into it on Police One. And these are, you know, a main topic is a little bit deeper. So we'll talk a little bit more about these. Uh, learn how to think in a crisis. I put this as our first story. It's written by a guy named Mike Reagan. Uh, David, I, I, I suspect that you may have a lot to think about, uh, say about this, and also Captain Brett, uh, since, uh, especially since Brett's got like a training background. Uh, but early training for traffic stop assaults, it taught us to use the space between the open patrol car driver's door and the roof pillar when returning fire at an attacker. When research found rounds fired at police cars often end up in that space, Training evolved to include other tactical options. Then he goes on to say that early training for active shooter response mandated that teams of four respond um, for responding officers. Realizing that a set number for entry teams was too limiting, agencies changed that rule from must have a team of four to when practical have a team of four. And this allowed officers to make appropriate tactical decisions without breaking the rule. So good cops are rule followers. They want to know what the rules are and what the law says. And some training over teaches cops tactical rules, an example of what to think as opposed to the much more desirable how to think. And what to think predicts a fixed situation, uh, while how to think opens up a variety of possibilities and tactics. So in the military, someone can be a perfect uh, parade field commander, but once out of that stable environment, they may be unable to deal with conflicting demands of command in a combat situation. So training must recognize the hazards of interpreting the situation to fit a role rather than adapting rules or tactics to the situation a good article we'll have a link up to this tomorrow when we when this uh, thing goes up in a segment of video uh but curious what the uh, i i found it to be a, an excellent article captain bartlett why don't you start us off i think it was a great article i think what's missing in police work just from my very limited perspective is you can't think about the bigger things like he's talking about if you don't have the basic things under control if you haven't developed well, the basic police skills, shooting, uh, making decisions, things like that, then in, in these tactical situations, your brain is taking up space trying to figure out the basic stuff and there is no room for the bigger stuff. I don't see too many agencies doing this kind of training he was talking about because typically you're not allowed to fail. And if you look stupid in training, it's gonna look, you're, you're just going to be that guy. So I, I simply don't see it. But if, if you increase the basic knowledge, you, you free up brain space for the bigger decisions. 
All right, interesting. And I know, that, I know what you say, Captain, is, is based on science, too. We've covered this before on the show. Corporal David. You know, it's – I don't think I, – I like what Brett says. I, I, I would call the bigger decisions uh, the thinking on your feet aspect. Everybody knows that police work is a very dynamic uh, uh, job. There's no two calls that are the same. They're always going to be something different. So you have to go into the in, into any call, whether it's an active shooter situation or or any other type of, of uh, police call for service uh, with the ability to think quickly on your feet. Um, and to Brett's point, yes, having those those basics, the, the, the basic art of policing well indoctrinated, uh, internalized, then you can more easily look at the big picture, make decisions quickly and then act, which is key to resolving a lot of these high stress situations. The thing that I would disagree with is uh, good police officers are not rule followers. I hate to break his heart on that, but good police officers know the rules, but they also know how to apply them, bend them and work between them when they have to, as the situation dictates. It's the same thing as saying that, well, you have to have a, a team of four to go, to go into this, to go in to do this thing that you wanna do, it, you know, but rules and police work are, you know, guidelines, we used to call them. They're guidelines. Uh, anybody that follows them to the letter is nothing more than that uh, paper pushing administrator that we all love to hate that has no street experience, very limited street experience and doesn't know. And when they come out on the scene, you're going, oh, no, because, you know, it's going to go it's going to go down the toilet. So even though the article was good, it, it was it was aimed in the right direction. Um, there are some basic tenets about it that I don't think take into account uh, the the reality of of street work that go that has been going on for any number of years amongst cops that are street cops. Now, Corporal, uh, before you mute your microphone, there's something you said, look, I, cause, cause I have to get in daily debates with people on social media and stuff, especially on YouTube. So there are people who are going to misconstrue, misconstrue something that you just said. I just wanted to, nah, you to clarify care. it. Yeah. You don't care. <laughs> but so anyhow, so when you say playing by the rules, you're not talking about the laws. You're not talking about making bad cases, uh, bad cases. Yeah, no, you're it, talking it, about SOPs, rules and regulations from yes. the department side. Yeah. Yeah, the policies and procedures that are that are on paper from an agency, whatever agency it is, whatever jurisdiction you work in, uh, there's there's the SOPs, standard operating procedures. There's GOs, general orders. There's you know manual regulations. There's at least three or four different books of of different things that you have to deal with. Um, so it, it's it's knowing those, understanding them, and using them, manipulating them. And applying the in between the reading in between the lines of those things to 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 act as efficiently and and proficiently as you can on the street in any given situation. Because as I said, you cannot write rules as a, for police officers that are going to apply to every single situation you come across. It's just impossible. You can't. So all of those rules always have caveats in them that say if, when possible if appropriate, there's always those things in there. And that's where a good cop is able to operate is, is in that space. All right. Thanks, Corporal. Now, now, Captain, um, I, I like what you said. I just don't want people 
and, and again, we're, we're, you know, how they say teach the twos because not everybody's at a level 10, right? So we want to teach the two. There are people who maybe are not involved in the profession, never have been, don't know anything about it. Um, do you find value? And I know that you do, but when, when you train a repetition, repetition, you know, like uh, when you're in a, a firefight, you know, automatically when you're pulling the trigger and you you fired all your rounds in your magazine, you don't even have to think or process about how to switch mags and to, uh, and to put new rounds to, uh, to clear like a stovepipe or a double feed jam on a semi-automatic handgun. That's all stuff that's just so drilled into you. You don't even have to think about that. Uh, so that's not what you're talking about, correct? You're talking about deeper things, uh, tactical decisions that you're making on the job. Well, I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about both things. You have to get the basics under control and have them on a, on a built-in level, right? It, it's going to happen, okay? You, you, see, you, see the, you see it and you fix it, okay? You see it and you fix it. But take a rookie. A rookie can't handle a complicated situation, right? So what's the difference between a rookie and a seasoned guy? Well, the seasoned guy has those basics all under control, which allows them room in the brain to make these other decisions, more complex decisions. Now, um, cops that break the rules are some of my some of my mentors. I did my best work working around my major and not telling him crap till it was all said and done. I wanted to put, I wanted to put computers in the uh, crime scene tech cars. I called up the computer lady. I said, let's get this done. She gets, who's authorizing this? I said, me. And another, not a word was said. And I reveled in those moments because it was fun. You take any roll call room and all the old guys sit in the back, step in front and give them a rule and watch in the back. In two minutes, they'll have a way around it. Because they're thinking, they've got the base, and now they're thinking. How can I, how, not not necessarily in a bad way, but they're they're looking at it from a, a good way. How can I defeat this moronic rule? Wasn't wasn't George McNamara major around that time? Might have, might, have might, might have been. Might have been. Might have been. I'll tell you. I'll tell. I'll tell these stories later to you guys. But it's just fun. Oh, now. You're just baiting the audience because we've got all of our boss hog radio listeners of people around the country now that are saying, why can't the captain tell us a story now? We want to hear the inside scoop. Well, it takes too much time, but one of these days. Yeah. All right. All right. Of course, we, we are guide. We do have FCC rules, too, that we have to you know guide by. And we know how Brett can get carried away with stories. OK, so look, we got about a minute left here. So let's uh, let's jump into our next one here real quick. Uh, we've got an update. It's on lawofficer.com. Now, this. This is going to drive some people crazy. Volkswagen reportedly refuses to help law enforcement track a vehicle that was taken in a carjacking with a toddler inside the vehicle. So, um, so we're in Illinois. A pregnant mother uh, was beaten, carjacked, and run over in her own driveway in Illinois on Thursday as her Volkswagen Atlas was stolen with her two-year-old son still in the back seat, according to CBS Chicago. So sadly, the German car maker refused to cooperate with law enforcement authorities to locate the stolen vehicle with the toddler trapped in the back until they were given an unpaid fee for the use of the vehicle's tracking device. And this is, was released by the Lake County Sheriff's Office. So Volkswagen has since acknowledged a serious breach of process for the refusal to assist investigators. But look, we'll finish this in one second. Hold the thought. We're going to take a commercial break. We'll be right back. All right, Motion DSP, they have been supporting the law enforcement industry for over 15 years for the robust suite of video and audio redaction and enhancement software. Motion DSP software, it's easy to use, requires no specialized training or expertise, and spotlights one-click automated tracking feature and forensic suite of enhancement filters. You know, you can achieve results with these quickly in just three steps, import, process, and export. 
The Spotlight is built specifically for redaction. It works with video from any camera source and usually using Motion DSP's algorithms and object tracking technology, Spotlight automates the process of blurring faces and other identifiable information, saving users countless hours to compare to manual frame-by-frame -frame redaction. And forensic enhancement software allows users to quickly process and analyze any video file format using patented super resolution algorithms and enhancement filters to, to reveal an unseen level of detail. You can get forensically founded evidence from low quality video in just minutes instead of hours. Now you can learn more about all these products at motiondsp.com. I, I highly recommend you go there, motiondsp.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City. So look, we, we're talking about Volkswagen. We've got a lady carjacked, her two-year-old son's in the back seat, and they're trying to get the location of the vehicle from Volkswagen through the GPS system, and of course, they're refusing to give it to the cops. So Volkswagen has since acknowledged the serious breach of process for the refusal to assist law enforcement, who said that the foot dragging led to a delay in their efforts to locate the child, who was eventually recovered without harm, according to the New York Post. So that's a story. That's what went down. Uh, Attorney Ken, love to get your input on this. Sure. I found this case very interesting when I read about it. Although Volkswagen might not have done anything criminal, I assure you, if that child was hurt because they delayed because of their breach of the process, I'd be able to retire on that lawsuit and Volkswagen would be bankrupt. It's just unbelievable to me. They probably had some person behind the counter that was brand new that was just following what was in the book saying we can't give out the information because there's an overdue overdue payment on it. But when law enforcement is crying out for assistance, you mean to tell me any any person on this planet wouldn't reach out and get here, man, have it all. Please get the kid back. But, oh, no, we have a problem here. And trust me, Volkswagen is so lucky this kid wasn't hurt. That would have been a mega billion dollar lawsuit in this one. So I hope Volkswagen and every other car company out there learn their lesson. Well, J he set you up, J David. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, just <laughs> lob that one in. I'm going to knock that one out of the park. What was the story we were just talking about? This is a perfect example of the rule follower who cannot see beyond the rule book. This is what we're talking about exactly. To the T. I don't care who did it. I don't care if it was Volkswagen. I don't care if it was a subcontractor that they used for that Jeep. I don't care what it was. That's a rule follower going, wait a minute. Okay, I've been looking at my book. I'm sorry, we cannot do anything because you have not paid your monthly fee. I cannot help you. That's exactly what it was. Exactly. On the T, on the nog. I mean, that, that's a perfect example of what we were just talking about. The rule follower. Wow. So so this chick, this mom, doesn't pay the the monthly fee, or she probably got it for free for, what, a year after she got the Volkswagen, then she decided, ah, you know, I'm not going to you know, keep the OnStar or whatever I, they want to call yeah, it. I, then, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care if she never paid for it. If, but, if that but, if that device is in the car and, and cops call you up and oh, say, hey, we've got a I crisis, agree. you know, here's the situation. Time to think outside the box. Time to but think outside their, the box. But they get their money first before they release the data. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, those those Germans ship, they're right down the line. Right. You know, I can you know, you get in the car and the car turns the mic or the speaker and says papers, please. You know, they're very. Very right down the road. Yeah, yeah. I'll need your papers, old man, before we grant your request. Wow. You know who invented Hitler invented the Volkswagen guys? Come on, who's afraid to say that? Wow. Yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of scary. Uh, so, but yeah. look, we we don't make these stories up. We just we just cover them, right? So, 
Uh, well, look, we got four minutes. If they're, if we've exhausted this, we'll we'll jump on to our next one. And look, you know, some of the stories that we have, you know, have a video component. So for our podcast and radio listeners, we'll describe in great detail what's going on so you guys don't feel like you're missing out on anything. And look, it's hard to cover a story today without a video component. So this first one is on Rumble, and the channel is called This Is Better. I really think it's the best law enforcement video channel uh, that exists. And uh, so highly recommend that you go there, check them out. Teen attacks teacher's aide for taking away his video game. Now, when I say attack, I don't think that I really am doing the scene, the scenario justice, because you actually have to, I'll try the, I'll, we'll describe in great detail, but I'm telling you, when you see this thing go down, you're just going to be in shock and the repeated strikes that this guy's doing. And this kid, it's a kid, but oh my gosh, when you hear how big, authorities in Florida say that a teenager has been arrested after knocking a school employee unconscious. A 17-year-old Matanzas High School student is in a juvenile detention center after attacking a paraprofessional. Authorities said that the attack happened on Tuesday in a school hallway. There is a surveillance video of this. It shows the student rushing towards the teacher's aide and knocking her to the ground. He takes her out from behind. Never saw it coming. The student can be seen in the video kicking and punching the unconscious female. She's prone on the ground, face down. Several times he hits her in the back of the in, in the back and the head. Other people rush to help the victim and to stop the attack. The unidentified school employee was transported to a hospital for treatment after the incident. Authorities described their responsible student. Doesn't mean that he was responsible, just responsible for what he did. Six foot six. He weighs in about 270 pounds. Deputy said that he told them that he was upset because she took his Nintendo Switch away from him during class. And here's what Sheriff Rick Staley said. The actions of the student are absolutely horrendous and completely uncalled for. Now, the juvenile has not been immediately identified. Deputy said that he was charged with felony aggravated battery with bodily harm. Wow. And 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 just when they're separating this kid, I mean, there was a, a male, looked like a teacher walking his head down into like some kind of a tablet. It wasn't even, he was like oblivious to the kicking and, and this guy just pummeling the, the teacher's aid, right? And when they separate the kid, he keeps going over and, and, and re-engaging, kicking her. Now, she's unconscious and, and they could not keep him away. Uh, David, take it first, then Attorney Ken, whoever else. We got a, a little less than two minutes. I got to go to the dentist. God, um, the uh, you, good lord. Um, I, where do you start? Uh, let's start with the uh, w- what appeared to be a Marine Corps officer or someone on scene that had a, it looked like a Marine Corps uniform. Um, I'm going to have to put uh, that guy. The uh, I guess he's, you know, uh, the, the people that the guy that signs uh, high school kids up to go into the military recruiter, whatever. I guess I got to put uh, military recruiters in the same category as SROs now, because him and the SRO both were worthless. I've never seen a response like that as they're watching this kid attempt to murder. Let's get the charges right. That was attempted murder all day long. That kid's intent. You could watch him on the screen was to kill that woman. That's all there is to it. So let's get the charges right, too, down there in Flagler County. How about that one to start with? That diseased animal needs to be taken off the street permanently, out of society permanently. That's what needs to happen. And the SRO's response was pathetic. They allowed that kid to get up and walk away under his own power from that situation. He should have been in handcuffs on the floor on the spot, not 15 minutes later at the principal's office. As he said, I don't want to go to jail. I got better things to do. Sport fan, please. Yeah, it, it's guys. There's plenty more to come come about this. This is uh, 
it's a horrific, horrific thing to watch. But look, we're going to take a, another commercial break. We will be right back. All right, guys, we're going to talk about Galls and Captain Bartlett. Get that microphone off of you, please. I'm going to need your help on this one. So Galls at Galls.com slash Leo. They are the country's leading uniform. That's right. I said it. Uniform clothing, equipment, and gear provider for law enforcement. They have everything from multi-tools and flashlights to duty belts and tactical gear. Uh, Galls at, at Galls.com slash Leo. A fantastic website, especially if you're in law enforcement or your friends and family are. Captain Bartlett, what can you tell us about uh, the specials that are going on at Gulls? Well, I'm looking at the site right now. The banners are calling. There's 20% off Bianchi, 20% off Safari Land, 20% off Flying Cross. There's deals on cuffs and cuff keys, shoes, gear. Uh, just so I'm getting, I got a condition. <laughs> so would you say that they pretty much have everything but firearms and ammunition, Captain? You look at that website, and that's the first thing you're going to think. Yeah, you're going through withdrawal already, I can tell. Look, guys, Galls.com slash Leo. Check them out today. Let's talk about Medicare insurance options. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County alone. Now, the benefits can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific health care needs? The answer is simple. Contact MyMedicare.Live or call area code 813-245-6656, especially if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Talk to James or Bobby. Meet with them in person. They'll save you money on your medication co-pays. Find plans that your doctors accept and get more of the benefits that you qualify for. So again, MyMedicare.Live. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show, live from the Boss Talk Radio Network studios in Florida. Uh, wow, what a what a what a news story we talked about with a video component of this uh, of this student. What would I say? What six six two hundred seventy pounds or something along those lines? You know, just taking out this uh, teacher's aide from behind, and she's unconscious, being pummeled, and then they can't even separate him. And and a lot of people, like Corporal David said, dropped the ball. We've got. Um, all open mics here, uh, but but James Cabell, if this teacher's aide was on Medicare and she survived, would they cover? Would they would they cover the injuries? Of course they would. Uh, yes, <laughs> even with anyway, a little component. Well, I mean, Medicare is there for no matter what happens to you now. Of course, they may be looking to recover some of those medical costs through litigation. Okay, but yes, initially they're going to cover everything. Yes. All right, and and we and we just heard your commercial while and my lips weren't moving. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> well, after the show's over, I'll tell you how I was able to do that. But uh, but okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would just like to comment and, and follow up on what uh, Captain Brett and Corporal David said. Was this is the the moment in time where there's no policy? Okay, and there's some details that may have been left out, like for example. This would not be the normal behavior of a child in in school uh, to attack somebody like that. I mean, was this person in some sort of behavioral uh, type environment? Was was he in a special class with people that are you know, that have behavioral problems? I mean, should these kind of kids be monitored a little closer? Should there be an SRO? you know, maybe in that part of the school, just in case these things happen. You know, there's so many questions that, uh, I mean, maybe based on the fact that he's a juvenile that are not going to be accessible to us, of course, uh, you know, in public comment. But, you know, there are things that maybe could be put in place. But once again, I'm sure there's no policy for a teacher's aide taking a gaming device away from a child and what happens next. So just to support the uh, the 
moment in time where the policy does not fit the actual live situation. Well, well, Jim, thank you. I, while you were talking, Captain Brett just sent me a text saying that that kid was in a class, a special class, and it was called Future SROs of America. Yeah, and, and, and to, Jim, to Jim's point, I guarantee you, you'll never find out, but I guarantee you that this kid's got a, probably has a lengthy criminal record too. Bet me money. Uh, not to mention the, the, the SRO that exuded weakness so strongly that it, it, I, I got a, a, an enormous whiff of cat urine when I was watching the video. That's how bad it was. That's how, that's how weak he was. Pathetic. You show weakness, that's what happens. The animals take advantage. Wow. All right, Attorney Ken Afianco. I've got a bunch of comments on this situation, but I'll start with this one first. You know, we saw a similar situation play out in Missouri with the Michael Brown case, because that kid in the Michael Brown case was like 6'4", 300 pounds, and he was physically attacking an officer. And obviously he was shot and killed, you know, rightfully so. Anyway, the officer was in a deadly force situation. It's the same situation here. This was an absolutely a deadly force situation. And as Dave pointed out, with the, I'm sure he has a criminal history as well, but here's going to be the problem for this. He's not going to stop here with the teacher. He's going to eventually run into law enforcement and have the same behavior, only, only this is going to be a little bit different when the officer pulls out his gun and shoots and kills him because this situation deserved a lethal force response. And it's unfortunate that it happened, and I hope the teacher's okay. But this is this is not acceptable. And again, to Dave's point, what are these people doing not to help the teacher? I, I, I for the life of me, I don't understand that. If it were me, I'd get up and I'd punch them right in the mouth for not helping me. Ridiculous. Yep. Uh, I'm disappointed in the Marine. I think he was an officer, maybe a recruiter. Maybe he's the uh, ROTC instructor. I don't know. Disappointed, obviously, in the two cops that did not get on their hands and knees to knock this little turd in the next week. I'm disappointed in the, in, the, in the administrators walking down like, oh, just another day in class. Uh, at, least, at least get off camera if you're going to act like a coward. Just, just disappear instead of walking by and looking and then getting on your camera. Just, oh, very disappointed. But the SROs, you know, it's, it's, it's like when you go to uh, – anyway, you can't be disappointed in them because you know they're not going to step up. Cat urine. Wow. That was the statement. One other thing, and Ken kind of touched on it and reminded me to think about this. Um, we, we've seen a couple of instances where a student or an ex-student has done something uh, on campus, whether it was a shooting or some other, other type of, of deadly activity like this. And this was a deadly activity. And I think in more than one instance, law enforcement and the local powers that be have turned and gone after the parents for their either action or inaction in these situations. I hope, I hope that they start doing that more. For, for animals like this, you need to really start looking at what, what are the parents doing? What did they do? What did they didn't, what they didn't do and all that kind of stuff. This, something like this, if they're gonna go after uh, other kids' parents for their inaction or actions, supplying guns or whatever it was, then this, th the same thing needs to happen to this animal's parents. So, I, you know, sitting here listening, I've, I've heard some interesting things. I, you know, this, this, uh, and I hate to even call him a kid. This guy needs to be treated as an adult. And, yeah. you know, Ken attempted murder me, as an adult. And Ken, uh, David, you touched on the, on the charges. Ken brought up about it being a lethal force situation. 
So really, I mean, you don't have to wait for someone to be physically injured or dead before you use lethal force. I mean, we all know that. So an SRO armed with a firearm could have taken this kid out. Uh, let's say that you've got an agency that's banned the carotid restraint technique, which some people mislabel as a choke, which is not. You could have, if, if you, this guy, if you didn't have a gun on you, this guy outsized you, that would have been the thing to go to. You could have, it's a great equalizer. Uh, but yeah, so disappointing that none of these things were taken. And if this, this teacher's aide, and I don't know how, I mean, if she was my daughter, I'd be having a fit right now. If she doesn't have permanent injuries of some, some sort, I, I mean, we know she's going to psychologically have some serious issues, but if she doesn't have permanent physical injuries after this assault, I, I would be just amazed. If there's, if there's nobody else, I know we're watching, Brett's giving a visual aid right now. So, uh, look, thanks, guys. Good commentary on that. What we've got coming down the pike here, another news story with another video component. Back on Rumble, this is Butters the Channel again. Body cam shows a Port Huron police officer's punch of an intoxicated man in the face. Two, three, four. I don't think you are, Charles. You don't want to do this place. Oh, I'm going to kick all four of them Now, Brett, Brett's given more visual aids here. So we got a video of a guy and, and I have, cause you know, attorney Ken's on the show, you know how the attorneys are. They want me to use words like allegedly and stuff, but a video of a man allegedly intoxicated, although the video, uh, video gives every indication that he's heavily intoxicated. He, this guy's interacting with police. It's gone viral for all the wrong reasons. So here's a quote saying, well, this is our, our, our bad guy, our intoxicated guy. I'm not going to jail. I'm going to kick all four of your and expletives, he says to them. And at that point, the police officer punches the guy before taking him to the ground. And then he, then the, the bad guy says, I told you all I was, I was not going to expletive swing. And this is what he said after he's arrested. And the cop responds, I'm not going to let you swing at me, Charles. So uh, he knew the guy's first name. So we've got uh, Kevin Link, uh, Linky. He's a social activist who just gained access to this video of this incident from last November in Port Huron involving one of the city's police officers. And this is what he says. He says, they were telling him no one is, is getting arrested. Go take a walk, sober up. And then he hauls up and punches him in the mouth. So the activist believes the incident should have been made public right after it took place. He said that he was appalled, as everybody else is. In today's climate, it's very disheartening to see this happening with a police officer. And this is not my words. These are Litke's words. The Port Huron Police Department reviewed the incident in November, found that the officer's actions violated department policy. An internal investigation also took place at the same time. The officer was placed on administrative leave. So at the conclusion of the investigation, the, it's an internal IA investigation, the officer involved was disciplined. The officer also received additional training and subject control and de-escalation techniques. Uh, that's about all we know as far as discipline and what happened to the officer. Captain Brett, former Internal Affairs Commander Captain Brett, go ahead. As I was serving him his papers, I'd whisper, that was great. That was great. You know, there's a, it, it all depends on the training, the, you know, the SOPs. But that, that guy stepped towards that officer, and that officer in his brain said, there's one way to end this right now. And he punched him right in the snot locker, and it worked. It just proved, okay, SOPs, whatever. You've got to take immediate action. It, it beats this long, drawn-out fight crap that we're going to see later on in some of the other videos. All right, about, uh, about 30 seconds, uh, Attorney Ken. Go ahead. 
You may not like this, but after representing as many people as I have, this guy was lucky he wasn't indicted and honestly fired and everything else that came of it. I, I mean, in my perspective, at least in Pinellas County, he would have been terminated by every agency that I represent. And it would have been a tough one for me to represent with four officers standing around. That was not the right use of force in this situation, I'm sorry. Wow, well, we're gonna have to discuss that, Ken, because I have some questions on, on that. Uh, look at David. But look, commercial break, we will be right back. All right, guys, you know, no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. GunLearn.com, they've taken the confusion out of learning and they've made it easy. GunLearn.com is the first and it's the only company to offer a step-by-step -step program where they take you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, accurate, and competent certified firearm specialist like Captain Brett Bartlett here and I believe Attorney Ken Apianco. So they provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy. And their training is approved by major forensic organizations, law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that Leo's law enforcement officers need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. Now, you can start today with online training, or you can register to attend a live seminar. And you can also get training for yourself and the personnel at your agency by hosting a seminar at no cost. To come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledge people in the world by joining the folks at GunLearn.com. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. We're broadcasting live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City. So, uh, so Attorney Ken, um, he kind of differed with some of the opinions on the board as far as, uh, you know, he's over Pinellas County, represents a ton of cops, and said that this would probably get this cop probably prosecuted criminally. And uh, Andy would lose his job. Now, I, from from my viewpoint, it looked like a sip look. If they were going to try to go with the criminal component of this, which I don't think is met, but it would be a, a to me, it's a simple uh, misdemeanor battery, not a not a felony battery. But uh, uh, David, what do you what do you think? Um, you know, it, it, again, we're talking about what's what's in this department's policies, procedures, SOPs, GOs. We talked about that earlier. Um, many for many many years. Uh, distractionary strikes were taught. I'm not a fan of, of empty handed strikes using your fist. It's, it's too delicate. Your hand is, it just doesn't work. You break things, you cut things. It's just, I don't like them. Empty handed. Uh, big fan of, of holding your nightstick in, or a, 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 an asp in my hand and using like a roll, of, a roll of quarters was always wonderful. But a distractionary strike, you know, holding a ticket book, holding a pad and a pen in one hand in your left hand. And all of a sudden this person becomes aggressive and you throw it in their face a distractionary strike. Now this guy's strike was a little bit more than distractionary. It was meant to, to, to take, take the guy off his feet and then take him down. But still a, a technique that is not, Oh my God. Uh, you know, the, the, this activist was like, Oh, I was, I was shocked and appalled. Yeah, yeah no, no snowflake. Uh, you know, where have you been all your whole life? But no, there's no shock and appall there. So if it worked, it worked. And de-escalation only works, rarely works with drunks. Um, alcohol is, you know, uh, what do they call it? Six pack attorneys and, and beer muscles. So it's, it, and that, that's the way that it goes with drunks all the time. So you take the person out quickly, effectively and, and get it done. It all comes down to what the policy of the department is. I, I think in this case, their policy matched. He, he's, he was got a, you know, uh, remedial training, if you will. And let's, let's all move on. Uh, and maybe the drunk won't do that stupid crap again. <laughs> you know, uh, Captain Bartlett, um, I'm trying to, you know, I was a, a union rep for a while in Tampa. You, of course, were the internal affairs commander. 
And uh, I'm trying to think what would happen in Tampa. I, I know that I was a defensive tactics instructor. We we don't teach weapon hand strikes to the uh, to the face. We do reaction hands. Uh, so I, I would that would be a it, it may technically be a policy violation from a DT standpoint. I, I could see maybe uh, at the worst, maybe a little bit of paper on the guy in remedial training. Um, uh, but maybe I, I could see where Ken's going with this. I mean, St. Pete Police Department with how, excuse my French, but how whacked, whacked out things are over in St. Pete. I could see where maybe that would be the the uh, the course of action. Um, I don't know. What do you? Uh, what, what are your well, thoughts? Now? From, from a public view perspective, a punch in the mouth always looks bad. Punch in the mouth. So let's take. Let's say they grabbed this drunk guy and they did a leg sweep and they grabbed him and took him to the ground and he. And he and he hit his grape on the concrete and poured his poured third grade out all over the concrete. It's still going to look bad, no matter what happens. Okay, and and like I said, my first I, as I'm giving the guy his papers, I go, "Wow, that was just that was amazing." But it all depends on what the rules say, and I doubt that any agency authorizes punches to the mouth. I, I don't think anyway. It's been a long time since I saw that stuff. But what's the difference? No resist looks good on TV. You never hear from the family. Oh, that looked good. That, oh, I'm going to have to give that little guy a Oh, because when my when my uh, loved one's grape exploded all over the sidewalk, that was just oh yeah, that was that was nice. That was just nice. For um, ten fifteen with the drunk, and we were at the Franklin Street Jail. If you remember that place back before we had you know Falkenberg and Orient Road, all that stuff, and uh, so that's going back a ways, but the guy, the, uh, the drunk guy was in handcuffs. He was going up, he raised his leg and he was going to kick me. So he's up on one leg. He has hands handcuffed behind his back. Cause we're up in that long hallway at the, uh, at the booking counter. I did a leg sweep and I took his leg out from underneath. It was one leg that he had, that he was standing on. And, uh, he fell backwards. He had nothing to break his fall with cause his hands were handcuffed behind his back. He hit his grape with that third and third grade poured out a little bit on the, uh, you know, on the, on the, like you described, but look, the guy was I thought the guy was dead. We had to call fire rescue, not the parrot, but we had to call fire rescue and they were able to bring this guy back. Thank God. I thought this guy was toast. And I thought, man, I, I got to rethink this next time I do something like that. You know, I got to remember that he can't break his fall. I got to, you know, anyhow. Uh, but yeah, that's what that memory, you brought that memory back to me. But well, um, you know, all of us, you know, uh, Ken, you were, you've been a cop. And I tell you, there's nobody here can't say that they've seen an epic fight on the ramp at booking or Ken, whatever they had there over there, just epic. You'd almost want to take somebody to jails just on a Saturday night, just <laughs> to see what was going to happen on the ramp, because you know that everybody, it's a pressure cooker. Remember that? It's like a oh, yeah. long hallway. Everybody's fighting them. You go, wow, this just, and it was always, always, always epic. You have fond memories of the old jail too, I guess, huh? Oh, oh my gosh. Just fight. Yeah. Who doesn't love this? Fight on the ramp. Oh, <laughs> oh you're right. The door would open. The deputies, yeah. Yeah. they would come. They would come barging in, take care yeah. of business, wouldn't they? You wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't even want to get get around them. Yeah. And they had that sergeant with one eye and like his big eyebrow, and you know, he a, a short story guy, a bad guy got his behind beat because he bowed up the deputies, and he came up out of the pack of green and white, saying, "Oh, you guys didn't have to beat my butt." And this booking sergeant, twelve foot tall, says, "He says, son." You ain't had a butt whipping here yet. And the kids started crying. That's the moments <laughs> you live for. Oh, gosh. Wow. 
Are we still live? Did I hit the live? Oh, we were live. Okay, I can't. We can't take this back. It's not like those text messages that you can take back I, on Apple phones. Now. I didn't cuss, did I? I didn't cuss for anything. No, 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 no. I think FCC. No. I think you skirted by the FCC because you're uh, you're you're making the rules and regulations. You're manipulating them like David suggested. You're making them work to your advantage. You can't say skirt. I may be wearing one. <laughs> All right, so look, moving along, we've got a little less than three minutes here. So let's see what I can uh, what I can pull up here that we'll have time to cover. Um, so we've got a, an update here. Yes, uh, this is on policetribune.com. Los Angeles DA suspends deputy DA for allegedly deadnaming, misgendering a trans child molester. So look, I'm going to go through this real quick so we have time to talk about it. So we're in L.A., of course, so that automatically kind of qualifies the kind of story we're going to talk about. L.A. Deputy District Attorney who prosecuted a 26-year-old transgender suspect convicted of grabbing a 10-year-old girl by the throat and sexually assaulting her in a restaurant bathroom has been suspended for allegedly misgendering the defendant. So Hannah Tubbs, transgender woman, also known as James Tubbs, identified as a male at the time of the 2014 attack on the little girl, but started uh, identifying as female after she was arrested for the offense years later, according to Fox News. So Los Angeles Deputy District Attorney Chiasana who is the lead prosecutor for the portion of the case against Tubbs, says she notified two L.A. District Attorney George Gascon top aides in January of last year that jailhouse records have revealed that Tubbs was trying to use gender identity to game the justice system, according to Fox News. Tubbs also made multiple explicit remarks about the 10-year-old victim and just saying things like, uh, I was young and I was hungry for some meat and stuff like that, really incriminating stuff. Santa said that, he was pulled off the case the day after he notified his supervisors about Tubbs' comments. Law enforcement office or sources said that Gascon re- recently suspended Sana for allegedly dead naming and misgendering the convicted sex offender. Sana's allegations that Tubbs was trying to manipulate the justice system using gender identity reportedly made people in Gascon's office uncomfortable and resulted in the suspension. And uh, in addition to being convicted child molester, Tubbs is currently facing murder and robbery charges in Kern County with a 2019 death of Michael Clark. So we got a minute left. Comments on this, guys? Go ahead and jump in. Another di- another diseased animal that needs to be removed from society and not allowed back again. However you want to do it out there, get it done. Um, hopefully Kern County will take care of business because Gascon won't. Um, I hate the article. They kept on calling him she. Just call it what it is. He's it's a it, he's a he's a, a rapist, uh, uh, diseased animal that needs to be removed from the street. Forget gender. It's got nothing to do with it. All right. Well, thanks. We still got time, guys. 30 seconds. Anybody else on this one? It's a, uh, you know, it's a sad state of affairs when we have to talk about this stuff, David. Yeah, well, I, I don't have enough time to, to run this guy down as much as I'd like and Gascon with him. It's all the same uh, garbage heap out there. Enjoy. All right. Well, thank you, Corporal. Look, another great show, guys. And, um, well, look, on that note, what I, I would like to talk about, the Wounded Blue at thewoundedblue.org, you know, Lieutenant Randy Sutton, uh, could not be on the day show, but he's retired Las Vegas Metro police officer and uh, or police lieutenant. And, uh, you know, he founded the Wounded Blue at the woundedblue.org. They help cops out all across the country who suffer from PTSD or maybe they've got been fired, forced to retire from their department and their department's not care- taking care of their medical needs. And so they are a great resource for people. If you're looking for someone to uh, volunteer with or maybe you want to um, give tax deductible donations so that 501c3 the wounded the wounded blue at the woundedblue.org is a highly reputable uh tax charitable organization at a 501c3 highly recommend that you consider them uh, for your dollars and also look thanks to the panel for being here a shout out to motion dsp gallsgunlearn.com my medicare.live jim cabell's on the show uh we are fueled by bang energy and huge shout out 
to Facebook and uh, at Ray Dietrich, that Red Voice Media Facebook pages, the Blue Liners, and we support police. Thank you, guys. Have a good week.